to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast who for the past 10 years has dedicated itself to the discussion and review of public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman who is a giant in podcasting and is nobody's puppet, my co-host Lydia. (laughs) At least you didn't say something about my tiny brain. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't say that. I'm not a liar. (laughs) Well, appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? You know, um, like the song, Staying Alive. Good. (laughs) Well, before we go any further, I want to first thank everyone for tuning into this month's episode. Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you choose to listen, if you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. Another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you are listening to on whatever social media platform you use. You can follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites, as well as our YouTube channel, and you can learn how, if you would like, to support the show financially. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. With that, let's listen to an Ellery Queen one-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we will pull up the strings of 1958's Attack of the Puppet People. Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. This is Ellery Queen with the case I call The Counterfeit Politician. Among the many assignments I've had over the years, one I really enjoy is documenting the truth of historical papers, particularly when there's money involved. In this case, the document was a memorandum written by the President of the United States to a deputy, stating that it was perfectly all right if his vice president were given the oath of office outside the United States. The examiner claimed it was a horrendous hoax, but I told him, it's worth a fortune. In a moment, I'll tell you why. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia! Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this? No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. In the case of the counterfeit politician, the memorandum offered for sale was real. The vice president in Franklin Pierce's administration actually took the oath of office in Cuba. Listen again to Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. Attack of the Puppet People is a science fiction horror film produced and directed by Burt I. Gordon. It stars John Agar, John Hoyt, and June Kenny. 
It was released through American International Pictures as a double bill with Gordon's War of the Colossal Beast. Gordon's film The Amazing Colossal Man, to which The War of the Colossal Beast is a sequel, uh, can be seen in this film playing at the drive-in. This film was put into production after Universal's very successful sci-fi film The Incredible Shrinking Man was released the previous year. In the film, Mr. France is a kind doll maker and business owner who needs a new secretary. Sally Reynolds takes the job. While on the job, Sally meets salesman Bob Wesley. She and Bob hit it off and begin dating. Bob eventually proposes to Sally, persuading her to quit her job. He promises to break the news to France himself. Well, the next day, France tells Sally that Bob has left the city and returned home. Sally is shocked at the news, but is also very surprised to see a new doll among Mr. Fran's lifelike collection that looks just like Bob. Going to the police ends up doing no good, despite several missing persons' names being connected to Mr. Fran's and his dolls and company. France tries to get Sally to stay with the company, but when she refuses, she discovers Mr. Francis, Mr. Franz's horrible secret firsthand. The terror grows as Sally finds herself shrunk down and added to France's collection of living dolls. The film makes extensive use of special effects and oversized props. These include a giant telephone, which was borrowed from the phone company, and a number of props made by Paul Blysdale. Split screen was also used to have the puppet people in the same frame as normal size characters. Bert Ira Gordon, often known as Mr. B.I.G., a moniker given to him by famous Monsters of Filmland editor and writer Forrest J. Ackerman, was an American filmmaker and visual effects artist who was best known for science fiction and horror B-movies whose main antagonists were often giant monsters like a tarantula in Earth vs. a Spider, grasshoppers in Beginning of the End, and the titular ants in Empire of the Ants, and of course giant teenagers in Village of the Giants. <laughs> Gordon began his career in television. He and his wife would film commercials, and he later became production assistant on the TV show Racket Squad that was aired from 1951 to 1953. In 1954, he produced, wrote, and co-directed the film Serpent Island. His first full directing credit came a year later on the film King Dinosaur, and then The Cyclops in 1957. That same year, he began his prolific career churning out low-budget, special-effect-laden B-movies for American International Pictures. There was a bump in the road, however, when in 1960, Gordon sued AIP for fraud over four films they made together, claiming that he had a profit-sharing clause in his contract and that AIP, quote, formed numerous corporations owned and controlled by them for the purpose of diverting profits, unquote. These steps, according to the suit, were, quote, intended to defraud and conceal true net profits. Bird Eye Gordon continued to make films through his own production company, AIP, and numerous other production companies, well into the 1990s. Mr. B.I.G. passed away at the age of 100 in 2023. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I didn't catch that. Yes. I got a chance to actually... Uh, see and see him speak at a couple of uh, monster bash conventions that I've gone to in the past. Wow. That's so much fun. It, he was at the monster bash just a year. I think the year before he passes, passed away. John Agar was the first husband of Shirley Temple. The two met when he was es- asked to escort, escort her to a Hollywood party in 1943 by his sister, who was a schoolmate of Temple. Temple's boss at the time was David O. Selznick. And he met at who he met at the party and signed Agar to a five-year contract. 
He made his film debut as Shirley Temple's love interest in 1948's Ford Apache, starring John Wayne and Henry Fonda. Agar appeared alongside Wayne in several films, including Sands, Sands of Iwo Jima and She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. He appears in numerous films over the years, starring alongside actors like John Wayne and Kirk Douglas. His career took a stumble beginning with a divorce from Temple in 1950, and then after several arrests for drunk driving, Selznick fired him from his contract in 1952. He signed a seven-year contract with Universal. His first film with the studio would be the sequel to The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Revenge of the Creature. He would make a series of pictures with Universal, some A pictures, some B pictures, His 1955 Tarantula, a movie about a giant spider terrorizing the countryside that was surprisingly not directed by Bird Eye Gordon, was very popular and has become a bit of a cult classic. He worked fairly consistently until the early 1970s, where he reunited with John Wayne in the undefeated Chisholm and Big Jake. His last roles were small parts in 1976 remake of King Kong, an apocalyptic thriller Miracle Mile in 1988, and Clive Barker's horror Nightbreed in 1990. June Kenny acted as a teen in numerous stage productions and found her way to television. She worked through the early 50s in bit parts on shows like Fireside Theater and TV Reader's Digest, as well as doing some commercials. She met Roger Corman, who gave her the lead role in 1957's film noir Teenage Doll as a good girl accused of murdering a jealous rival. He cast her in two more pictures that year. In 1958, Bird Eye Gordon cast her as the female lead of attack, female lead in Attack of a Puppet People and in Earth vs. the Spider. When the larger studios began churning out their own B-pictures, trying to mimic the success of smaller studios like AIP and Allied Artists, Kenny found herself struggling to compete with A-list actors. She found some work, but unhappy with the choices offered. Kenny, quote, thought it would be best to bow out gracefully and retired from acting. She took a job handling commercials for a Los Angeles radio station until she married in 1970 and moved to Nevada to to manage a horse ranch with her husband and continued to work in radio. That's all the background info and everything that I had. Were you at all familiar with Bird Eye Gordon or any of his films? No, so... I... So this is probably not something that many people know about me, but I love a good creature film. <laughs> um, so I I have historically gone in for loads of, I mean, like, I at one point I went through a phase where I watched every, every vampire movie I could find, every zombie movie I could find, um, uh, every Daniel Radcliffe movie I could find, not related. But, <laughs> but it, I never got into the, like, different sized people phase. So now I feel like I've missed an entire genre of creature films. They're not technically technically creatures. Um, but, but that's funny. That's a great question. I haven't seen this spider. I'm kind of disappointed, but I also should point out my, uh, I have a family member who is a severe arachnophobe. And so I, I don't always think about watching them. They don't bother me, but I, uh, but I typically don't watch a lot of movies with spiders at home. So, um, no, I really haven't. I think, I think I must have seen the food of the gods at some point. Um, it seems impossible that I haven't, but, but beyond that, and, and I want to say maybe the magic sword, which he did too, 
but I could be wrong about that. But it does have Basil Rathbone in it, and I am a huge Basil Rathbone fan, so it's very likely I've seen it. Um, just not recalling it at the moment. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with no. I really am not familiar with with Bert I. Gordon. I'm better at actor names than I am at director names, though. Too sure. So uh, as we as I'm sure is pretty obvious. So yeah, but it is. But it's interesting. His he he doesn't have that many director credits for for having been working in the fifties. Um, mm-hmm. But he definitely has a very strong theme. Yes. And, and no, it's a absolutely. fun theme. It really is a fun theme. No, absolutely. I've seen quite a few of his films. And I tell you what, they run the gamut of from being kind of entertaining to laughably bad, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, just depending on which one you watch. Uh, Beginning of the End, I believe, is was one of them. And in that one, it's giant grasshoppers. But to use the visual effects, there's literally grasshoppers on, like, postcards of cities oh yeah that's those are the best yes (laughs) (laughs) those are those are the fun ones when they literally just have a praying mantis like you know walking across the screen and then people looking up yeah those are great those are a good time this one i think and i kind of feel like i'm jumping a little bit to the end but this one being one of his earlier films i this may be one of his best if not the best of his, you know, directing and visual effects films. Mm. Yeah, I actually really enjoy um, The Amazing Colossal Man. I, I think that actually, I think there's subtext in that movie. I don't know if it was intentional, but I see a lot of subtext in that film that oh, I, I, I really, <laughs> yeah, that, that I really like. I see a lot of uh, subtext about, like, returning GIs. Oh, who, interesting. Who, who come back maybe... Uh, not the same people they they went to war and they come back maybe they're uh, they're suffering from um, PTSD or they're they're more importantly suffering from like uh, amputations and mm, stuff like that yeah and so you you deal with uh, the character in that film who finds himself after being exposed to an atomic bomb growing to sixty feet high and not fitting into the world and it's like some of the lines and the dialogue in that film it's like and this means something, and I just wonder if it was intentional. <laughs> even even the clip that shows up in this film that we're talking about, he you know, he says, "What's it, what's it like? You know, what's it like to be able to? What does he say? Put punch your hand through the top of a circus tent, mm-hmm. and it's such an emotional thing to say. Like where like you're getting a 15 second clip of this movie, but the the subject in that clip is pretty intense and pretty emotional. So I'm, so I'm very interested now having heard you say that now I'm going to have to go watch it for sure. And it's an easy watch. I think it barely clocks over 60 minutes. I mean, it's, it's a real short watch. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Check it out. Um, yeah, but this one, uh, especially when you start talking about just his visual effects, I mean, you could talk about the, the direction and everything separately, mm-hmm. but the visual effects in this film, I think are, pretty damned creative mm-hmm. and really good for the time and i think they're effective and and honestly i actually have it written here what is it what do i have to say <laughs> something about the um the miniatures and the the ability to translate the miniatures between the different takes of you know the tiny people and then you know the the normal size person it's fairly seamless especially mm-hmm. for this era it's very it's fairly seamless and you can tell this is not a high budget movie right 
<clears throat> but what they came up with was of like even to the point and we are definitely jumping ahead here but to the point of her waking up dressed in a napkin <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's convincing it's really well done so and um, creepy it, it, well, <laughs> maybe we should talk about the the movie itself a little bit before we get into the sure, levels yes. of creepiness, because <laughs> there are levels. <laughs> this is one of the things I kind of love from you know uh, really any almost any like horror film is that it starts out so innocently. Mm-hmm. It's just a woman answering an ad in the paper for a job, and it's so mundane and it's so ordinary and the guy seems so nice and he 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 runs a doll factory you know his little doll (laughs) shop and he it all seems so pleasant and i just love the fact that you know behind a closed door is where the terror starts yeah well i think that for me the terror and maybe i maybe i got this a little bit differently than you did but to me the terror kind of starts when she is she's having a conversation with french um, who, who, by the way, John Hoyt in this is, I, I, I kept wondering if I have seen him in something else, but none of his credits look familiar to me, but he is good at being like the creepy, strange old man. Um, it, in, in a little <laughs> bit tragic too, but we'll talk about that. I'm sure closer to <laughs> in a little bit, but he, so he starts off and he's young lady. Do you like my dolls? Oh, I, I think they're lovely. Do you really? You must meet some of them. My dolls are fashioned from all walks of life. Now, here's a bride. Isn't she lovely? <sighs> and uh, over here, now let me see. <clears throat> here's a housewife going shopping. <laughs> and here, oh my, yes, she's very important. This is my nurse. She helps to keep my little people well. Wouldn't do for anything to happen to them, would it, nurse? You treat them like real people. Well, but of course they're my friends. Almost like, like, almost like he's just aging to the point that he's a little bit odd, a little eccentric. That's the word that I like to use. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, right. He's a little eccentric about his dolls, which is not strange at all now, but at the time was very much a statement about how strange he was, right? For him to be so excited, for this grown man to be so excited about these dolls. Oh, sure. He was like one of the first collectors of action figures. Yes. (laughs) Except that most of them are actually like, and he's of course creating them. And so he's making these dolls and he talks about how pretty they are and how this one, oh, all of my, this nurse is so important. She takes care of all my other dolls. He humanizes them in a way that children often do, but you Mm -hmm. don't typically see adults do. Even, even collectors uh, you know, collectors can have thousands of items, but and may eventually begin to humanize them. But he's doing it as if they are actually people. And she makes a comment on it a little bit later. To um, oh gosh, I've lost his name already. Bob. <laughs> to Bob, thank you. To and saying that it's it's almost like he's expecting that, them to answer. And he says expecting who to answer, and she says the dolls. And Bob laughs at her, but that is the demeanor that French is giving off. He absolutely mm-hmm. is talking about them as if they're all real people. And the thing that makes it the thing that makes it creepy is not that he believes that they're real; it's that at his age he believes they're real, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but then, but that's not the creepy part to me. That that's like, 
you know, that's quirky. That's eccentric. The creepy part to me is he starts asking. She says, I don't think I'm right for the job. She seems a little put off by his affinity for his dolls. And she says, oh, no, I don't think I'm the right person. He says, oh, let me decide, you know. But do you have any experience? No, I don't have any experience. Do you have any family? Oh, no, I don't have any family. Oh, well, you're exactly who I want then. And that's when it becomes creepy to me. Yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> Wait, you're, you literally are just asking me, can you please, like, please tell me you have no experience, life experience at all and nobody to protect you. You're the person that I want. Yes. That is definitely where I think it gets, it doesn't verge into horror yet. There's, I think there's a specific point that that happens, but it definitely comes across a little creepy. What did you think of, you know, she's trying to turn down this job, but the phone starts ringing. And then he doesn't answer it. He doesn't answer it, and she, it's really annoying her. And she keeps looking at the phone, and I'm like, "This is definitely a statement of the time on, <laughs> you know, on the female. You know, obviously she's a secretary because she can't just not leave and answer the phone." Well, okay, no, no, wait. I'm going to push back on that one a little bit because <laughs> if I'm having a conversation with somebody and their phone starts ringing, I will stop and expect them to answer it. And it's and especially in an era where there wasn't any text messaging, there weren't there weren't even. Um, Oh Answering gosh, what machines. are those? Thank you. <laughs> what are those things we used to have, but I can't remember the words for anymore? Answering machines. There weren't even answering machines. If you got a phone call, if you were there, you answered the phone. And so I, I think that's more of a, her being aware she's in this man's business and his business phone is ringing and she's expecting him to answer it and he doesn't and he continues to not do it. And then, of course, to press her to work for him. And so, yeah, it is probably a little strange for her to pick it up without saying, do you want me to answer it? Like, that is strange, but not to be disturbed by it. To me, it wasn't so much that she the phone was ringing and she wasn't given the impression of, well, aren't you going to answer that? It was, I, I really want to answer that. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. I, I read it a little bit differently, but when I review it again, I will keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Quick pause, we'll rewatch it and decide. <laughs> you have to know the truth. Our listeners need to know. No. <laughs> but I'm the one that do, does the editing, so, and we're back, and, and we're Lydia back. agrees. <laughs> Lydia totally <laughs> agrees with everything I ever said. <laughs> no, I'm curious, though, to, for people that are listening to know what they think. Like, mm-hmm. maybe we can get a really nice split on this. Let's put up a post or a, a poll and see, like. Right. Do you, are you, <laughs> I can make this really bad here. Are you male or female? Do you agree with Lydia or Christopher? <laughs> is this a thing where women feel like the phone needs to be answered and men don't or no? <laughs> I think, I think it's more reading the facial expressions going on there. And yes. that, and I may not have been playing, paying as close attention to her expressions as you were too. That's also mm-hmm. possible. It's very possible. Uh, John Hoyt is an actor I know him best from 1951's When Worlds Collide, Mm -hmm. which is a brilliant George Powell production. And he plays a a wealthy businessman in that who funds a good portion of the rocket ship that is going to be used to launch survivors of a doomed Earth. The only reason he donates the money is to buy a seat on Mm -hmm. this thing. And he is brilliant in that film. Mm. I believe it. Is, is that very selfish to the point of being evil about it uh, type of character. So that's that's where I know him best from. And it actually took me a minute 
watching this film it was one of the it's been a long time since i've seen that film and when you said yeah i feel like i've seen him in something i'm like yeah he does have that i know i must have seen him in something so i had to like pull up his filmography real quick i'm like oh well of course (laughs) well i just realized what i know him from oh good what was it the david niven show uh, oh, kidding. Well, no, go. I'm joking. <laughs> he was on it, but no, I'm kidding. Unfortunately, I don't have that. If you guys know where I can get it, let me know. Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, but, he, but I think maybe also he's, this is probably doing him a little bit of a disservice, but he reminds me enough of Boris Karloff that it might just be that, oh, he reminds me a lot of Boris Karloff and not because they're, they have like the exact same demeanor or anything, but I think more because he does a good job at being this older man that seems really harmless and then Mm -hmm. turns out to be threatening. No, I completely agree. Now that you've said that I could easily see Karloff in this role. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've seen him in other roles where he's the, the congenial, but he's still like the bad guy, but he has like a sort of a, a lilt to his voice. And he's like, Oh, but don't you want to see this? And Mm I, I, Oh, absolutely. No, I, that's a really great recast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it could be that there's, it's, I think it's very, he was in what, 230 titles, uh, including TV shows, but I think it's extremely likely that I've seen him in something. Um, yeah, no, I'm I, absolutely. He, he is a very prolific character actor. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he appeared on, on oh, in many films and in television shows. That he's we've in seen. my favorite brunette. I don't know that he's got a very large part in it, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and I think he's a really good actor. And that's something that's one of the strengths of this film is that the plot is perhaps maybe a bit childish and silly, the whole idea of shrinking people and, and all that stuff. But the quality of actors that have to carry that plot, I think, is actually pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think they do a pretty good job. There's there's some difficulty for me with the direction. Um I, I agree with you that the set design and the execution is excellent. There, I, <laughs> it's kind of funny they they put a lot of detail into this. It's it's such a small set. There's almost just two locations. There's the inside of the office and the factory, what he calls the factory, and then there's just a very short stint uh, stint at a theater. And I think anything outside of that is just transitional. Like there there is some exterior stuff that goes on. But it's almost more just incidental. It's almost more just to kind of make the absolute point of, hey, these people are tiny. But the the factory and the office are actually really well put together. And to have all the, the doll display cases around and to take the time to put all the dolls in there. And then um, there's a point where, I guess we can get into this, Bob disappears. Mm-hmm. and Well, you, you've already mentioned this in the synopsis. Bob disappears, and then uh, she believes that he was made into a doll, and she takes the police. She goes. She actually goes to the police, which is incredibly brave of her, I think. This is, like, this is really good writing because in so many movies, like, you're like, just go to the police, right? right. She actually <laughs> does. It's like, yay, good for you. Pardon me. Can you tell me where Sergeant Patterson is? Yes, he's in the office. Thank you. Sergeant Patterson? Yes. I'm Sally Reynolds. The man at the desk sent me to see you. Oh, yes. Sit down, Miss Reynolds. Oh, here it is. You say in this report you made downstairs that your fiancé disappeared mysteriously. Just what does that mean? Something Mr. Franz did to him. Such as? 
Mr. Franz did something to him. Well, you said that. Well, I, I don't know how else to put it. Did he hit him? Did he shoot him? Did he strangle him? No, he... You won't believe me. Well, that's my business. Now tell me, just what did he do? He made Bob into a doll. He made your fiance into a doll. I see. Well, we'll let you know if we learn anything, Miss Reynolds. I knew you wouldn't believe me. Look, suppose there were some other people that, that disappeared the same way. Would you do something then? Well, that all depends. Who were they? Janet Hall. Anyone else? A mailman named Ernie. Ernie Larson. Go on. Well, isn't that enough? I guess it is. Okay, let's go and see this, Mr. Franz. She actually does go to the police, and he takes the police back and says they, he's, you know, he's turned him into a... She, he's turned him into a doll and French says, oh no, they're just toys. And this is where it turns to horror for me. But he, he, uh, he, can I say it? Can I see what he, say what he does? Okay. So yeah. Christopher's nodding. I'm going to say it. So he says, oh no, they're just toys. He lights a match and he drops it in the tube with Bob. And I gasped. I was like, oh my goodness. This is, and I got chills and I actually got chills just now talking about it. He literally lights this man that's been turned into a doll on fire. That's when it becomes horror for me. Up until then, it's like kind of kitschy and it's a little bit eccentric and it's kind of silly. But when he lights that, when he lights Bob on fire, I like got chills. I thought, oh my gosh, can you imagine? Here's this woman watching her fiance literally being burned to death. And, it, and you get, and it's, and I'm a little sad about this. You get about five seconds of horror out of it. And then he says, I have a whole bunch. And he opens a drawer and there are like six of them. Mm -hmm. And like, so the horror part of it is terrifying to me. I wish they'd kept, I wish they'd held on to it a little bit longer. But I'm really impressed that they, they went to the trouble of having, then he opens this drawer and there are six of them. He doesn't just pull out another one and say, I have two. That's where I think the set design in this or the, the props in this are really good is it didn't feel like in so many of these movies and so many of these B films, you get a little bit extra, but you don't get to see, hey, this is a this is a doll factory. He it makes multiples of all of these and it actually really makes it work where if he had just pulled out another one, it would have kind of been like. Okay, which one's the real Bob? But in this case, it's like, oh no, he's actually taking these people and then making copies of them. And it does expand the background of the story more than I expected it to. Yeah, it's a really effective scene. And because you don't really know what's going on. And, you know, it, it he drops the match in and the thing goes up in flames. It, it's only plastic, mm -hmm. uh, is, is the only indication that that's not Bob. And how he makes the duplicates of these things in doll form is never really explained because we never see him doing anything mm -hmm. other than doing the uh, uh, when he's making his dolls they all have very generic you know faces and he, he fills them with plastic and everything so mm -hmm. yeah you never actually see him go to the detail of creating these lifelike uh, characters but and to be able to do it oh she went to the, the police and then like within a couple hours, whip up a dozen of these things. <laughs> mm -hmm. It makes you wonder how many of them does he usually have and why does he have them? Yeah, or, or 
Well, I I got the impression that that was done to um, allay suspicions. Yeah, allay any <laughs> suspicions by the police. He wouldn't normally make duplicates of his uh, shrunken guests. His shrunken guests. His shrunken heads. <laughs> <laughs> his shrunken people. <laughs> uh, the uh, the effect of having the characters of the people in the glass tubes, I really got a kick. I think they did a really nice job. And that's where actually I think some of the direction is actually pretty strong because it's just a flat cutout of them, mm-hmm. a picture effectively of them, taped to the inside of this tube or whatever. But they're always held just right. If you're looking for it, you can tell that they're flat. Mm-hmm. You can see it. Mm-hmm. But they do a really nice job of, of keeping it turned to the camera to minimize you noticing that it's just flat. So you mm. do feel like there's people in these tubes and they're holding them. Interesting. Yeah, the, I, I agree with you that there are points where you can tell that it's not really people. But at the point that uh, June has been shrunken and then she starts and he starts bringing out the others and laying the tubes down and they're coming out of the tubes. It's completely convincing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think up until that point, it's to me, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, of course, these aren't real. Right. They're whatever. However, they did these. They're not real. But then to have that to have that effect of them being in essentially what's really a human sized tube. Right. And they're mm-hmm. they're then coming out of these human sized tubes and she pulls the lid off of his and it it. It feels like she's really pulling a lid off of a small tube. It's really interesting how they did it. It doesn't feel like really heavy. And it even does the the whole little, you know, you hear the gas escape (laughs) and everything. Popping the top of the coat. Yeah. (laughs) Or the the soda bottle. He's got, I'm just imagining him when he, when he puts them away, it's like Tupperware. Does he have to like burp them? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or he just sucks the air out like those plastic bags that you put your blankets in. (laughs) You funny little people. I wonder why it is you always hate me so at first. I haven't really harmed you. Get the best of care. I never let you get too warm or too cold, too hungry or too tired. You should be grateful. Think. No daily grind, no budget problems, no taxes or debts or family to support. I see to everything. And it's never dull. You sleep away the long, boring hours in your jars, and when I take you out to wake you, it's, it's only to have fun to enjoy some new treat I've thought up for you. Don't you see how fortunate you are? You have nothing to do all the rest of your little lives but be happy. So I love it, though. They At one point, he's um, the, the other guy, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, the other man that's been shrunken, he says, um, it's, he has a pill, a tablet in with you. Don't breathe. Oh, he's coming back. But you, like, they, they start to kind of half explain how they're unconscious the whole time they're in the tube. But they have to have air. I mean, presumably, or he has just invented miniature cryo-freezing. Exactly. Somehow this doll maker has invented a way to suspend uh, the life yeah. uh, of people so they can be stored in these in these vacuumed tubes. To, if, he, if he could do that today, he'd make billions. Billions. No, absolutely. Billions. So that is kind of a... That is a hand wave in this story because mm-hmm. there's no explanation how this 
puppeteer turned doll maker can also somehow have the chemical know-how <laughs> to to freeze life. <laughs> well, and they do that in a lot of space movies in this era too, right? Oh, sure. No, you just absolutely. wake up from the, the mag- magical tube that lets you sleep in the spaceship while you're traveling. So I think it's related, but but it but you also kind of don't think about it, right? They they mention just enough that oh, there's a reason they're sleeping in the tubes without going into the details, so you believe it, which is mm-hmm. good filmmaking. It yeah. actually is. Yeah, they don't go into excruciating detail to try to sell it. They just right. say, "Oh, this tablet does that," and mm-hmm. please believe that. Okay. Yeah. There's a reason this happened. There's a reason and we thought of it, which is kind of all you have to say. Well, because they do have to go into a little bit more detail when it comes to, let me explain how I do it to, to, uh, to shrink the people. So it goes you, into a, a little more detail. It than goes that. into, I think, a significantly more detail. You have nothing to do all the rest of your little lives but be happy. That's what you think. Change it back the way we were. I like you better the way you are. Are you going to keep us this size? Always. What have you done to us? Would you really like to know? It's my secret, but I don't think you'll give me away. It's a very simple principle, really. Notice how this slide projector throws a visual image. I can make it any size I choose. When I push it closer to the wall, the picture becomes smaller. Being of an inquiring mind, I asked myself one day if I couldn't do the same with living things. I reasoned that if I could pass them through a device similar in principle to this slide projector, then I would be able to project these living things to any size that I would choose. And it's so funny. It fe- it goes from feeling like this kind of... She wakes up and screams, realizing she's been shrunken. And then he says... You know, when Bob comes out, he says, do you want me to explain how it's done? And then it launches into the, the school, yes. <laughs> the, the training video. The, uh, and it, it's so funny because it, he's explaining it as if he's actually training people how to do it. And it, it pulled me out of the story a little bit. But um, Yes, I, I, I thought that was a bit clunky, too, because it just brings this film to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. We've got a woman who has just woken up and realized wearing a napkin. Yeah. <laughs> and she is she is naked, wrapped in a napkin, sitting on top of a, a workbench. And you're like, oh my God, what the hell? And well, let me show you, Timmy. Yeah. <laughs> it turns into Mr. Wizard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So and I think that and it's funny because I the first time I watched it, I thought Oh wow! This when it kind of went into that, I thought, oh, this is just the worst movie. Now there was another reason I later thought that it was the worst movie, but we'll get to that in just a minute. But then once it goes out of that and goes back into the storyline again, if they had chopped that down a little bit, tightened it down, it wouldn't. If if they had been able to not derail the story with that, I think it would have been probably a much better movie than it is because everything else is actually it clips along at a good pace and you're interested in the characters. And when you realize that he's got all these other people that they've kind of alluded to, that he has already essentially kidnapped and shrunken, mm-hmm. and they're existing like this. They're just mm-hmm. living like this. I have some refreshments for our little party. A petit four, a knife to cut it with, tiny little cups and saucers, and a miniature bottle of champagne. 
please help yourselves. I'm afraid I'm a little too clumsy to serve my guests when they're as small as you. A toast to the uh, new members of the family, Sally and Bob. Are you two engaged? Say, when's the wedding going to be? You better ask him. Poor Bob and Sally. There's no one your size who can marry you. I'll have to see what I can do about it sometime. Stop! All of you, stop! How can you be so calm? Call for help, run, do something, anything but this. Say, what's the matter with her anyway? I got used to the size in about ten minutes. And believe me, brother, I kind of like it. I never had it so easy in my life. Look at it this way, Sally. We're in a jam and there's nothing to do but make the best of it. Uh, for the time being, anyway. I know how she feels. I took it pretty hard, too. But we sometimes have to do things we don't want to just to have some freedom like this. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a little, what is it, a little bit, a little bit of a, a Stockholm Syndrome with them? I don't know if it would be considered Stockholm Syndrome, but they have, yeah, they've just like, well, this is the way it is, so might as well enjoy it. Yeah. Hey, we don't have to go to work anymore. We just got to sleep in our tube all day. And then, and then it gets creepy again until he wants us to come out and sing for him. The woman who didn't want to sing for him, he left her in his left her in her tube for like a month because she wouldn't sing. Was it a month? Oh my goodness. It was something like that. It was a while, I know that. Yeah. I was thinking it was like a few days, but you you may be right, it may have been a month. Um, I got the impression she's like a teenager. Like this Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah. do they do they this is totally unrelated to the movie. Do they stop aging? <laughs> teenager or or young adult? I got the I I've had a feeling she was like one of the previous secretaries. Oh, interesting. I didn't. I, I got the impression that she was a teenager, but I could be mistaken. I, she may have been. Yeah, I don't know where kind of she comes from. Yeah. Everyone else sort of, <laughs> you, you get the feeling why they were in his life, but then there's suddenly the the military guy and then the teenager. And like, yeah, where the hell did they come what what did they do to make this guy mad? And and who like where did which one was the mailman? Was the military kind of guy the mailman, or was it the guy that the singing girl liked? I thought there was the mailman. Maybe I'm confused. I thought there there was a military man. I thought there was like an army man. Oh, I've, it, there was definitely a guy that seemed to know like how to do things. <laughs> right. Yes. And there was a mail carrier for some reason, right? Yeah. Yes, definitely. So and then and so so it is interesting. There's there there's some inconsistencies in this. Let's talk about the fact that he can hear her singing, but when they call on the telephone, the person on the other side of the telephone can't hear them cuz they're too tiny. Well, and the record player was going. Yes. But Mm, I'm, I'm not sure I really buy that because he can hear her singing over the record player. And then with all of them yelling, I feel like they there's some inconsistency there. Also, he's able to hear them, but then uh, when they're in at the stage, the other the other man that's there, the puppeteer, isn't able to hear them. And I know he keeps saying, "Don't come on the stage, stay off the stage," but you're gonna hear something. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not like they just go completely silent. So it is it there's there's some things in it that are just a little bit too convenient for me. I've 
kind of glad though that they didn't go with the. And I've seen this in other films where people get get shrunk and their voices are. Beep, 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 yeah. <laughs> they sound like little mice or something. I'm glad they didn't go that route <laughs> with totally this. I totally agree. Oh, especially with her singing that song, and it is the song that wouldn't die. It's actually the song <laughs> that never ends. It just goes on and on. <laughs> And I was thinking about, just as a special favor to you, going ahead and recording my own version of it. Oh. <laughs> Although I couldn't find the music anywhere, so. Oh, well. Sorry. <laughs> we have been spared. I mean, what a shame. <laughs> if I find it, I will absolutely record it. We can just tack it on to the end of this episode and it'll be our okay. outro music. <laughs> I did find the lyrics. The lyrics are online, believe it or not. Now, Laurie, you must sing for us. No, I don't want to sing. But you will, my dear, or back in the bottle you go. You're a dolly. You're a dolly. You're so cute and lovely, dearest little doll. Say you want me. So it keeps playing, and then every time the it's just a one song record, which is a real thing. So I'm not I'm not angry about that. <laughs> angry. Uh, I'm I'm not upset by that or confused by it. There are really one song records, and so it ends, and then it starts replaying again automatically. And yeah. how many times does it play? Is it four or five? I probably didn't really pay attention, but and if I had, I probably would have lost count. Yeah. It I you'll lose something. Yeah, it just it. I get why they're doing it. It makes sense and it's covering what they're doing, but there's a point where it, it was, it's loud enough for long enough that I started to think, okay, I'm, this is, this is getting to be a little bit much for me. I'm, I'm getting a little sensory overload at the moment. <laughs> I assumed it was just pretty much the generic uh, music that's used in a lot of these 1950s films that aren't, that doesn't exist anywhere else. And yeah. It's just- Definitely. Yeah. And actually, I think it's a little interesting that they even had that moment in there where he had her sing because typically when you see something like that in a movie and and the the lady who plays him or plays plays him, sorry, the lady who plays her, I think it's Susan Gordon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I believe the the character's name is is Agnes. Does that sound right? Uh, Susan Gordon played Agnes. Yeah. I'm looking at the wrong person. I was going to say, the, the, the theme song vocalist, I think that's uh, Lori. Okay. Wasn't it? Oh, And that's man. Marlene Willis is what I see. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. So I was curious if, because often I think you'll see, they'll put a song like this into something because they're, it's either an actress that has become known as early good singer or they're trying to become a singer. And uh, I mean, she's got a set of pipes on her. She's, mm-hmm. she is a good singer. And so it's interesting that she's, this is uh, her second movie. And the first movie, it looks like it was, it's like Gidget with music pretty much. I don't know that it is, but, but it, it looks like something that probably there are people singing. And she's, she's a very good singer. So it doesn't surprise me that with this talent, they had her singing it. Uh, but yeah, it is definitely, as far as I can tell, this movie, or I'm sorry, this song was made specifically for this movie. Oh, no, I imagine it was, yes. Uh, You're My Living Doll is the name of the... Yeah, it's listed as from Attack of the the Puppet People by Albert Glasser and Don Ferris. 
And mm-hmm. then the, it's, it says it's from the film soundtrack. So that makes me think it is. Also, goodness gracious, <laughs> the lyrics are pretty, are pretty, I, they're, they're so on the nose. It seems almost yeah. impossible that they could have found it somewhere first and then just included it. No, no, no. This was definitely, it was definitely written for this film. I'm, I'm positive on that. Yeah, Agnes, I think, was, uh, no, Agnes was, I think, one of the little girls that comes in. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That was Bird Eye Gordon's daughter. Right. Yes, little Agnes was Susan Gordon. That was the young girl that comes in with the broken dolly. Yes, within, that ends up playing with the tiny cat. Right. That was actually Bird Eye Gordon's daughter. Really? Yes, yes. Well, that makes sense. They've got the same last name. <laughs> yes, that does. It, Gordon's pretty common, but yes. That yeah, is... I think another actress was supposed to do the part, but she was she had to cancel. She couldn't do it. She couldn't make it. And so, hey, sweetie, you want to be in a film? Interesting. <laughs> we, we definitely have seen that happen before. No, oh, absolutely. So I think I think it's... It's interest. It's an interesting idea, and aside from that big lull right in the middle where we're getting told all about how he does it in a in a very wave of the hand kind of yeah <laughs> sciencey that's, way. That's the funniest thing is it goes on for so long, but it really doesn't give you details. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's just yeah. Well, we. Let me show you. And he goes the whole thing with the projector, and I can make it bigger and smaller. And I've, they could have easily, just like they did the pill with the pulp, they could have said, you know, I've always been a tinkerer, and I discovered, and I was, I put together this machine, and I discovered I could, you know, shrink objects. That would have been enough for me. Oh, yeah. He could just literally just have rolled out the machine and said, this is my shrinkerometer, and we right. would have all bought it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they did not have to go with the whole the whole science project yeah. Uh, explanation. Yeah, it's interest. It was an interesting choice, I think, and I, it makes me wonder. And now I, I feel like I'm kicking myself a little bit for not looking it up. How new was that technology at that point? I, it feels like slide projectors were around well oh, before no, the I, 1950s. No, absolutely. And no, so they. they it's funny that they chose that particular technology <laughs> to explain it, where it's pretty well known, I think, at the time. I'm guessing there was some desire to pad the film out to a certain amount of running time or something. Mm-hmm. And so that was included. And that was just that was the, the way that they figured would make the most sort of sense. And it would have the closest analogy. Not more bathing in the the little tin or whatever it was she right. was bathing in. It is, it, this movie is 119 minutes. And you mentioned that the the Colossus one was a little, barely an hour. It was an hour and 20. So mm-hmm. definitely About the there's, same then. yeah, some consistent time, lo- time logs here. And mm-hmm. I, I, what you're saying makes perfect sense to me. I, I suppose also it was probably one of the most budget efficient ways to do it with the most budget-friendly way to do it. Anything else you would have had to... It, it, I could see how maybe it was put in there just as a, oh, hey, we're at, a, at an hour and 14 minutes. We need five more minutes. Mm-hmm. Let's just put him in a room because there's. I don't think there's much going on around him. He doesn't reference anything else that's supposed to be in the factory. So anyway, I, yes, speculation yeah. is my, my hobby. <laughs> yeah, and 
I would have liked to have seen more of the miniaturized people mm-hmm. dealing with the big world, but that was probably too expensive. That's exactly what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the the bits with the rat and the dog, they they aren't perfect, but they they flowed well. They felt mm-hmm. real enough. Yeah. Um, where where. Especially with the size of that rat. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Where, you know, at first you it think... It is New York. <laughs> yeah, yes. And and at first you think, oh, you know, they're big enough. But then you go, oh, I mean, if they're like the sizes of... Like, they're smaller than a, like a standard Barbie, I suppose. That mm-hmm. is... That's pretty intimidating. <laughs> but, no, they did... I think they did a really good job explaining... They actually... And it's kind of funny as... They did a really good job of explaining everything else, getting them back up to the factory, how they got back up to the factory without being able to use the elevator. And um, I, I think there's here, there's one more point that I was really confused by. I'm hoping you can help me. Okay. And I, I, I will try. I rewatched it because I was a little bit confused by it. When they are in the theater and he is, he has the Jekyll and Hyde marionette. And at some point, like, He's, you know, doing the voice for Jekyll and then she's supposed to be acting. And then and then suddenly she screams. And I think there was supposed to be a dramatic face change on the puppet. Yes. But I couldn't see any difference. I actually meant the last time I watched this to go back and pay attention to that because I miss it every time as well. I backed it up to watch it again, and I still couldn't see what the difference was meant to be. Yeah, I, I thought I was just missing it myself. I I have no idea. That's what's supposed to happen. He's supposed to suddenly change from Jekyll to Hyde. Mm-hmm. It must happen just so quick, and the camera just doesn't... Pick it up. It, it doesn't pick it up. Uh, the it, difference between the faces, yeah. Right. Yeah, and it it should be something that should be focused. Maybe if you had if you could have had the camera in a different location, you could have put June, the character Sally, maybe in the foreground and have her maybe over her shoulder looking at the doll mm-hmm. as it changed yes. would have been more effective or something. Yes, yeah, but as it is, it you feel like you're in a stage play, just looking at a stage and everybody's in profile, mm-hmm. so you kind of miss it. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, that was confusing to me. Okay, so it wasn't just me, and the, the, but there is one thing they do really well here. He is playing with a marionette, and she is on a puppet stage with the marionette, and the movement of the marionette is completely believable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a person actually in a marionette costume. Wanted to ask that of you is whether you thought that that was just a giant marionette or was that a person pretending to be? because no Bob comes in and like starts yanking it down and pulling on off the strings and everything. I yeah. think it was like a, a man-sized marionette. Okay, oh, that's interesting. Well, and if that's I mean the fact that we're having this conversation is a testimony to how good the effect is. Because mm-hmm. I assumed it was a man in a mask, and you assumed that it was a marionette. And so that's really, that's, I think that more than anything, whether, whichever one of us is right doesn't really matter. I just think that that 
says how good this, how effective yeah. this is. O- only because Bob at, at one point storms in and starts grabbing at it and throwing it around. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I assume they made a switch with the doll for, to the person at that point. It's, but it's a yeah, great either's, question. Either's possible. The movements are so marionette-like that it wouldn't surprise me if it was a human-sized marionette. That would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It, it's still really like you said it's very effective and it's really well done either way they did that they did it it is it is and if it is was a like a human sized marionette that means that there are two or three people on the stage above you know yanking at these cables uh-huh. <laughs> to <laughs> Again, make this thing move very impressive effect yeah no matter how they're doing it because it doesn't look like they've just cut her into the scene yeah, all. that is not a split screen. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't look like it. It must. It can't. I don't see how it could be. No, not with Bob coming in and 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 tearing it down. Yes, fair point. Yeah, so it's really good, and and it's so it's really fun to watch this. I think, and then realize, okay, yes. So the little tiny things when France is handing them down to them, those are fun to see. But then to see these giant sized props that they get to be with it there it's so much fun it feels so realistic they do such a great job and in such a limited space on this workbench and i think that was probably what makes it so believable if they put it on the floor it would have been really hard to mm-hmm. manage those size differences and you know what i didn't even think about is he puts them all in a suitcase at one point they're all in a suitcase and it's utterly convincing like, mm-hmm. there are parts in this that it's funny there, it, how good it is because you don't think about that be, having to be a gigantic prop. And it's just so believable. So I, it's it's funny. It's such a... I'm so mixed on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm probably less mixed on it than I was before we started talking about it. But there definitely... It is funny. There are definitely some, some very high highs and some very low lows. Welcome to the world of Bird Eye Gordon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, and it's funny. I think after the second watch, there are fewer lows than I thought there were in the first watch. Like I said, I, I do think it's one of, if if not the best of his films. I, I really do. As far as the combination of the effects, how well those effects work within the story and everything, uh, I I do think it's superior to a lot of his films. Well, now we'll just have to watch them all to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you have anything else that you wanted to, to mention? I feel like it, there's a few things, but I feel like I would just be backtracking to earlier parts of the conversation. So I, I think, I, gosh, should we miss any really key moments in the movie? That there's, I, I think, so much of what we are still talking about is, oh, this effect was really good, and that effect was really good. The cat in the matchbox, brilliant effect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, I, I admit as a, as an animal lover, when the little girl comes in and is like, I want to play with the kitty. I went, <laughs> I was just like, Oh no, don't let her have it. Don't let her have it. And I, and I was horrified thinking, Oh my goodness, he's going to come back and that cat is going to be smushed because mm-hmm. I, cause it is a horror movie. It is. And so I like, of course don't expect I didn't expect her to intentionally hurt the cat, but I, right. you know, kids make mistakes. They have accidents. And I fully expected that to, that to be the next, it's, it's almost funny. There's one really horrifying moment in this movie. And then the rest of it, it kind of is like, Oh, and this is a fun romp through giant land. Right. <laughs> and it, yeah. Then it's a series of inconveniences. Yes. Yes. And 
if it, it so it so it's almost hard to classify. It's considered horror, but it to me it it is more. Oh, gosh, I don't even. It, it's almost comedy. Adventure fantasy. And yeah, um, adventure fantasy. That fits pretty well, sort of, yeah. except that it all takes place in one room. Mm. <laughs> well, it's hard to categorize. Uh, the film has some flaws. You mentioned the little girl wanted to come play with the kite. That's one again, one of these moments where the script doesn't really jive with the story that we've seen. The little girl says, you know, she shows up. Apparently, it's like six o'clock in the morning, and for some reason, she goes here instead of school. She goes to the factory, and she's like, "Oh, I wanted to go play with the. He's got some great dolls. He lets me play with them, and the cat too. Like, so he <laughs> lets her see the six-inch people and mess around and. <laughs> I. I presumably, kind of the way I read that was, of course, she has gotten to play with the cat, um, but I sort of almost read that as like her looking through the keyhole Mm. and maybe, maybe seeing and hearing things that she shouldn't have when he wasn't really aware she was there. Maybe. That's just my inference. I don't think there's anything in the movie to indicate that. It was just kind of the leap my brain took. I think there are definitely horrific elements in this film. Mm-hmm. And if you go by the idea that maybe this, he would at times decide to let the girl, quote unquote, play with his dolls. <laughs> That's very horrifying. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, no, I want you to go over and sit over there. You That's know, I, the, imagine that. And then, well, and then too, I, without giving too much away, at the end, near the end, when he's just saying, "Oh no, trust me, this is—it's better if, if we all go together." <laughs> that is definitely horror. <laughs> that being controlled by a giant human. Yeah. We were moving on, and we really we forgot like the main crux of this film is why he's doing this. His motivation for shrinking these people and keeping them. His wife left him for another man. And he is terrified of people leaving him. Mm-hmm. And so whenever he has a, a secretary and oh, she wants to go to another job, uh-huh. uh, no, you're going to get shrunk and I'm going to keep you. Yeah, uh, the mailman's going to retire in two days. Yes, yes. No, you can't leave. Wow. Yeah, um, that's important. That is, that is, it's funny. I, it, somehow, okay, somehow I missed that. I didn't miss why he was doing it, but I missed the overarching psychology behind it. Like, I understood, of course, oh, she's going to leave. I'm going to shrink her and keep her. But I was, ta- I was reading it more as like, trying to control people, not as being afraid of being abandoned. That's much scarier. It's sad and scary. He is abandonment. I was trying to, I was working towards that phrase and I couldn't quite (laughs) grasp it. He has abandonment issues. Yeah. And the dolls never leave him. Mm -hmm. Again, this is one of these elements that I think Bird Eye Gordon does weave into his films like a lot of talking with the amazing colossal man it's another reason where i think that was intentional the Mm -hmm. idea of you know the 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 military man coming home dealing with a lost limb or or something like that Mm -hmm. or um i think it was intentional because i think that sort of the psychology and you know the wife leaving him it it damaged him and, and it's in this film i don't think people give gordon 
as much credit as they probably should for actually kind of including things like that mm-hmm. really subtly into his film. That's a fair point. I, I wonder, like, weirdly, maybe weirdly, maybe not, my mind goes to, I wonder how much of that is lost in the translation. And my, my thought actually went to the sound design, that there's a gap and of course now gosh we have these incredible sound engineers that put together these incredible mixes for just like the smallest sounds in films and that that's a relatively is a comparatively recent thing so you know in this movie we get like footsteps and things like that but there's not a whole lot to draw you into the enormity of if you're a shrunken if you're a shrunken person if you're a tiny person the enormity of things around you and how it might sound different Mm -hmm. um and but and there's also not creepy there's no creepy music in this it's very kind of it's a very quiet film yeah and and there are moments like when it's leading into the mystery when sally is kind of hearing these things here and there like it feels a little forced but there's also i feel like there's nothing kind of threading those scenes together and so it feels like these choppy scenes that are almost abrupt and you just they just don't quite tie together as a flowing story it it feels a lot like one day I did this and then one day I did this and then one day I did this and then I decided that all meant something. There's nothing in her life outside. We don't see anything in her life outside of these moments. And Mm -hmm. so it doesn't flow quite like you would expect it to. And usually I think I say usually, but I mean, now I think that there would be some kind of sound cue music or, you know, just, you know, subtle notes or something in the background that would kind of help carry you through those scenes. And it doesn't exist in this movie. And it's, I think that's kind of a random thing for me to, for, to jump out at me, but it does feel like there's, there's not enough, not, not, not enough, but there's not the expected amount of like threatening overtones. Mm -hmm. in the music and in the sound it just is like a normal office and like a normal factory but then nothing like i can't even do it but you know like somebody says something and then you get a note that tells you that thing might have been important but i don't feel like that happens a lot in this no i don't think so again this is probably budget constraints but there would be it would be nice to see the terror of the world and well that was done in the incredible shrinking man of which this movie is obviously inspired by mm-hmm. uh the terrors of the world for someone that size mm-hmm. uh, you don't see you know cars whizzing by and giant footsteps or mm-hmm. the fact that things would be you know incredibly loud because your eardrums are the size of a, a pea yeah um you know well you get the that. one car whizzing by but just is an afterthought almost mm-hmm. not as a and I and I get like if you get too much into that it can be really overwhelming. But even small things like a hand reaching for you would be really, really unsettling. Yes. And and there's a moment I think where Franz is supposed to be holding Bob like kind of against the desk, but it doesn't it's the one effect that doesn't quite match up for me. It looks just like Franz is just pointing at him, but Bob is kind of like struggling against the yeah, the, yeah. the side of the desk. And it's like, oh, if he just moved his, his hand over like 
an inch. It would have mm-hmm. been believable. So I think there's, yeah, they, it is, it's interesting. There's, a, like I said, there's some real high highs in this and then some kind of just not necessarily low lows, but things that fall flat. Some of the uh, split screen is just off. It's really close. It's just off. There's there's times when everyone's on the workbench and France is talking to them. And it feels like he's talking to an empty table. Mm-hmm. There's not that interplay between mm-hmm. the scenes. The reactionism. Right. Is that yeah. a word? We're going to pretend yeah. it's a word. <laughs> it, is, it is now. Uh, it's a nature of the effect that they're trying to pull off, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and you've got to think, you know, this is the 1950s special effects. They happen and this kind of special effects where... You know, the, the, the beast or the creature or the miniature people aren't in. The, nowadays, actors are very used to this sort of stuff, yes. acting to nothing, acting yes. to green screen. I, I think it was still fairly, I, I can see where actors would still be fairly uncomfortable with the idea mm-hmm. in the 1950s. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for its era, it's, I think it's really quite good. Mm-hmm. For the year oh, no, that absolutely. it came out. Yeah. It, it, and honestly, if this movie had been made in the 40s, I would say, wow, this is a a landmark movie, right? <laughs> oh, I've seen, I've seen films that were filmed 10, 20 years later with the same idea done worse. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it feels like this, it's funny. It, like, I wouldn't say this movie holds up exactly, but the effects in it really do. They're really, I love the one lady taking a bath in like a, a little, I don't, it's like a, it's like, like coffee a coffee tin or something. Yeah, a coffee yeah. tin or like a shaving cream tin or something like that. Mm-hmm. It just, it's, it's so effective. Yeah. So I guess we should probably throw a rating on it. Yeah. I think we're at that point. So, uh, go for it. Oh God. I was hoping you'd go first. <laughs> I'm willing to, I can go first. Um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm really kind of torn. So I'm fence. curious to see how, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, so if we're going Othel's one to five, I think I would say, I this it's just, it's funny it's oh yeah I'm between a two and a three but I'm not quite at a two point five I think <laughs> I think I would go with yeah <laughs> your podcast didn't break I just stopped <laughs> <laughs> I uh, it's a really hard call. Because mm-hmm. there, it doesn't check the horror box for me. And so if it were a fun-filled teenage romp, I this movie would probably be a three or a four. But because it's intended as horror and it doesn't quite get there, I'm going to give it, and, I, and I'm a little sad saying this, I'm going to give it a two because I... I feel like it's it's better than that. There are things in this movie that are really worth watching. And if you're studying film, if you're studying special effects, if you're doing um, if you're doing your own low budget films, I think this is a must see. There are some things in this that are just some effects in this that are extremely low budget but excellent. And so you know, depending on who you are, but if you're somebody who is coming into orphaned entertainment 
you know, that it's never watched any of these before and you're not a big fan of black and white films, this is not the one to watch. <laughs> you will be so disappointed in black and white film. Uh, it, it is fun. It's got some really interesting bits in it. I think it's a great movie to put on just in the background while you're doing dishes or, you know, if you want to watch something fun with the kids that'll kind of blow their minds, assuming that they can watch black and white films, you know, then this is a great option. It's not... It's not at the top of the, the filmmaker's Hall of Fame or anything like that. So I, I'm talking myself more and more into it, too. But I think, you, again, if you have a special interest in film, if you have a special interest in anything about the genre, it's a great watch. If you're just looking for something fun to watch on a Saturday night, you, there are other things that you could find. Yeah. You said a line that pretty much explains how I feel on it as well is, who are you recommending it to? You, you said you said it depends on who you are, mm -hmm. and that's that's the crux of it. Depending on who you are, kind of depends on how much I would recommend this film. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you, you you said it all. If you're a if you're a fan of Bird Eye Gordon, absolutely. Oh, this yeah. is this, this is a four or five of oh, Bird yeah. Eye Gordon work. Yes. If you're a fan of uh, of the fifties, uh, you know, sci-fi monster films, well, it's <laughs> probably a good three or four. Yeah. You know? um, if you were, and you said it, uh, if you were a film student, uh, absolutely, this is a three or four. This is, this should be like uh, recommended viewing for your class. Yeah. Um, if you're just the casual movie watcher, no, this is a one or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so for the sake of this show, I, I guess I'll probably have to go right with you and just settle on the two. It. There's so many other reasons for the right people that this is a must-see. Yeah. But for just the general audience, yeah, it's it's an interesting, you know, it's it's a snapshot of the time. Mm -hmm. It's a good example of 50s sci-fi. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not the best from, you know, of 50s sci-fi. And it's I mean, not the worst. It's not No, one. absolutely not. No. But, you know, it, earlier today, or earlier in this show, I, I mentioned George Powell's when worlds collide, mm -hmm. which was done uh, five, six years earlier, which is a phenomenal film with giant special effects and it's in color oh. and everything. And like that, you know, you, you have to watch that. If you're going to watch 50 sci-fi, you have to watch that film. Do you have to watch this one? No, you don't. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so disappointed because I saw a couple of shots that looked like there was a version of this in color. And then I'd click on them and they wouldn't be in color. So don't no. don't fall for it, guys. There's not a color version of this that I'm aware of. It, it would be fun to see in color. This yeah. would actually be one that I think would, if, if you did a decent job of it, it'd be kind of be neat to see it colorized. Mm -hmm. Is it just... It would add a little bit more fun to it. It, just... it would pop things a little bit more. Yeah, You'd get a yeah. little bit more realism from it. Yeah, I think you couldn't have filmed this in color and got away with the effects as easily. Mm -hmm, that's probably true. And certainly not for the budget that they were willing to spend, because color was still a lot more expensive in <laughs> <Yeah>. 1958. <laughs> Definitely. So, yeah, I think so. we've come to a, a conclusion of two, and, yes. and I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I meant to mention this earlier. This story has always felt like a an episode of the twilight zone mm -hmm. to me and it almost it because of the way it's kind of broken up and you started talking about this earlier you were talking about how it feels like it's just a series of of scenes clipped together to make a film mm -hmm. 
it almost feels to me like you could have taken a, a several similar themed episodes of the twilight zone stitched them together and got this film yeah yeah actually <laughs> i could totally see that and, and as an episode of the twilight uh zone this would have been a really strong episode oh mm-hmm. remember that one where the guy shrank all the people and made him into dolls oh that's so creepy yeah. a guy like having all these dolls and then playing with them and making them sing for him oh yeah that's great it works so oh. well as a twilight zone episode yeah you could you could compact this down to 50 minutes mm-hmm. and and it would be a you know you'd be out of breath by the end yes and it, and it would be one of those classics that always that is always going to rerun <laughs> yes yep absolutely yeah, yeah and it, it is funny because the end of it just stops yeah yeah you you get very you only get some conclusion yeah but not a full conclusion no. you're you're left going well what happens next <laughs> i mean you're <laughs> what about the to, people in you, the theater <laughs> you're definitely left to conclude that hopefully they also you know were able to escape but yeah they definitely don't spell it out for you no matter what, I enjoyed watching it and I had a ball talking about it with you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's always the conclusion. So the movie, it gets two Othels, but Orphan Entertainment gets five. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I guess that will do it for this episode. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, yeah, any thoughts or anything, please send them our way. Orphanedentertainment at gmail.com or follow the link in the show notes to all the social media places lydia thanks very much always fun yeah as the same as well here to sameness thank me (laughs) (laughs) oh no my brain's got shrunk (laughs) right we better we better go get the uh normalizing uh, machine (laughs) fired up we'll talk to everybody in another month bye everybody (laughs) bye That just stopped for me. Like my whole brain just went, meh. <laughs> nope, nope, no sentence for Lydia. Yeah. <laughs>